Good morning, Redeemer family. And it's good, uh, it's good to be together this morning. It's good to remember that the gospel truth of old won't fail, uh, that Jesus is building his church and, um, and even in the midst of difficulty, he does so. Well, we're gonna continue on in our study through the gospel of Luke this morning so you can follow along with us as we are moving into chapter eight. Uh, when our kids were all little, uh, when it came time to discuss sensitive matters uh, or just to talk about things that the kids didn't need to hear, uh, we didn't excuse ourselves to another room. We didn't need to do that. Why? Because we knew how to spell. And, and so this went on for a while. But eventually, they started to learn how to spell. Never fear, though. We could simply rely on our extensive vocabulary. Still no need to leave the room, which became quite the game. Uh, it was much more fun to speak using words that our children couldn't decipher. For example, one spouse might say to the other, I retrieved some frozen delectables from the market. When the offspring retire to snooze, shall we partake? <laughs> Indeed we shall. And that was way more fun than we got some ice cream at the store. Uh, it was basically our own little secret code. We were, we were pretty much super spies in our own home. Uh, sometimes the, the code got too advanced and it was like, I don't know what you're even saying. Uh, but, but eventually, those days too passed away. Um, and inevitably, our kids, one of them would shout something out like, hey, I know exactly what you're saying. I want some ice cream. Give me some ice cream. You guys have ice cream. Don't hide it. Um, well, today's text, we see that Jesus shares one of his most famous parables, the parable of the sower. Uh, but we'll see that his message is not intended for every year. It's a code of sorts, obscured for some, but for those who have ears to hear, he invites us to listen. So as we listen to this parable of Jesus, I want us to see four things, four things about the human heart. Uh, number one, ears to hear. Number two, uprooted hearts. Number three, the heart prepared by grace. And number four, the heart that endures. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are uh, indeed the one who speaks to our hearts, gives us ears to hear. God, would you today, would you open our ears that we might hear the truth of your word? Would you do as we have just read? God, would you, would you, would those who have ears to hear, listen, what do we heed and Father, where we are distracted, where we are, um, where we, where we are not hearing the truth of what uh, you have shown us, God, would you, would you jolt us back? Would you draw us by your kindness? And would you help us today to hear, to believe, to submit ourselves before you? Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now before we dig into the story, I don't want to skip these first three verses. Uh, this is really not part of the parable, but Luke included it in the text. So I think we need to at least pause and, and look at it together. So looking at verse one, we read, after he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. So this is essentially a summary. This is a summary of Jesus' whole ministry. We're gonna see this throughout the rest of Luke. Jesus traveling from one town to another, preaching the good news. But notice Jesus isn't having to do much to draw a crowd these days, is he? No, as he travels, uh, preaching and healing, he's picking up people. It's like magnetic. 
And in one way, this is how first century rabbis would operate. They would call disciples to themselves. They would say, follow me, follow after me, learn from me, listen to me, see what I do. Uh, of course, many of those rabbis, all of those rabbis were not healing and forgiving sin, were they? So people are getting healed, forgiven, and they're going, hey, can we just stay with you, Jesus? We just, we have to stick around. We got to keep going with you. And so the traveling crew is growing. And so we see who was there at the end of verse one. The 12 were with him. And in verse two, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Herod's steward. Susanna and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Sometimes when we think of Jesus and his followers, we only think of the 12. But many disciples are around Jesus. And for two verses, Luke is going to focus in on a group of these women who are Jesus' disciples. And, and this is fascinating because a, a Jewish rabbi normally wouldn't have called women to follow him. They weren't typically given priority in the Jewish uh, culture. And, he, and here, but here we see this band of women walking around and following Jesus. Who do we meet? We meet Mary Magdalene. And you may have heard of Mary. She's a name that comes up a lot in the New Testament. And sometimes in teaching, she's sometimes portrayed as some scandalous woman. Um, but that's just not what the Bible talks about when it talks about Mary. No, it actually says she had been tormented. Uh, not just by one demon, but by seven. And, and sadly, Luke doesn't share that story with us, which I'm sure was amazing. Uh, but if you were freed of seven demons you're probably gonna wanna just keep on with the person who freed you. I'm gonna follow you. And then we meet Joanna, the wife of one of Herod's servants. And this is interesting. It's a really risky thing. The wife of someone working for Herod, following Jesus, traveling with him. Herod didn't like Jesus. But clearly, Jesus had, had changed Joanna's life. And so she's, she's with him. She's following him. And then we meet Susanna, this is clearly someone Luke and maybe his hearers knew by name. And then he says, there were many other women. These aren't random stragglers. They are devoted disciples, many of them all the way to his cross. In fact, we read that Mary and Joanna had the honor of being two of the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. These women are precious to him. So, so why does the spirit have Luke highlight them here? As we've mentioned before, having a group of women disciples didn't add to the credibility of Jesus's ministry. So it's not, it's not helping, uh, Luke, uh, helping Jesus to, to, for Luke to include this, but it happened. So that's why Luke's recording it. And that, anyway, that's not what Jesus was ever about, was it? He wasn't about clout. He wasn't about hobnobbing. He didn't always identify the most important person in the room and gravitate to them. No, he was a savior for the low, for the lost, for the overlooked. So before we move into the parable today, I at least think we need to stop and go, let's not skip what Luke is showing us here, what the spirit would show us. And I think the lesson is this, is that if our theology and our practice leads us to believe that ministry and theology, that these are only spheres for men, then we're missing the heart of Jesus. Yes, it is, it's good for a church to disciple men, to, to reach out to men. We're, we're, even in the news this week, we're seeing there's a dearth of, of, of godly men and, and of older men pouring into younger men. There's such a need for that. 
But make no mistake, the church of Jesus is stronger when we value and we appreciate the gifts of our sisters in Christ. We're gonna see it throughout Luke, Jesus dignifying the role of women in his ministry. May we do the same. Let's benefit from the friendship and the influence of both our brothers and our sisters. Okay, all right. Now we're gonna move into this into the text, into the, into the story. Uh, so number one, ears to hear. So moving to verse four. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable. Okay, so he's about to tell the story. This is, this is a turning point in Christ's ministry because this is the first occasion where he's telling a story that seemingly won't be understood by much of the crowd and he's doing it on purpose. So here, here's the story in verse five. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on the good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So a farming metaphor. Look, I, I am not, I'm the farthest thing from a farmer. But this isn't complicated, I don't think. If you're, if you're a farmer and it's really complicated, then explain it to me later. Seeds need good soil to grow. I don't think that's complicated. You don't need an ag degree for this. Uh, interestingly, though, the last line, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. It's kind of the, what the whole parable is about. Some people hear without really listening, without really hearing, really receiving. Kids, and our elementary kids are in here this morning. Some of you, have your parents ever said something like that to you? Uh, that you are hearing me, but you're not really listening. You're not really receiving what I'm saying. And so we're gonna get to the story in a minute, but why does Jesus do this? Why does he speak like this? Why parables? Why doesn't he just say what's on his mind? First of all, I, I think parables are amazing. We should just acknowledge that. Uh, they, they take really important concepts and attach a story to them. Jesus is so good at this. Stories help solidify truth for us, don't they? And it's, it's why we love a good metaphor. We love a good sermon illustration, a good story. But why would Jesus teach something and then purposefully obscure the meaning from some people? And it seems that there are two purposes. Number one, the first clue is at the beginning of the section in verse four. We're told a large crowd was gathering from every town. So first, I think Jesus is doing a little sovereign crowd control. Remember, Jesus' ministry was one of providential timing. He had a ministry to fulfill, but he's only gonna fulfill it when the time is right. And so as the crowd grows, as his notoriety grows, yes, he keeps teaching truth, but he begins doing so in such a way that the entire crowd won't appreciate. He's, he's like a band uh, playing only the new songs at the concert. The super fans love it, right? Uh, but the bystanders are unimpressed. They're going, hey, play the ones we like. Play Freebird. What's your problem? Jesus is thinning out the crowd. He knows where his ministry is headed and he knows how fast that he intends it to grow. But if that's all it was, then it would be a cruel game of deception. Jesus isn't simply holding out on people who are eager for truth. I think second and most importantly, Jesus had a particular listener in mind. 
Starting in verse nine, read this. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? They're saying, Jesus, is this this really about farming? Did you have a point here? In verse 10, so he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest, it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus says, "My, my stories, my teaching." These are the secrets of the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? But the kingdom, if we remember, the kingdom doesn't belong to the whole crowd, does it? No, Jesus is saying, I have an audience within the audience. Remember what he had already told them. Blessed are who? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And Jesus knew the hearts of everyone who listened. And he was speaking to the ones who by faith had ears to hear, the ones whose hearts were the good soil, ready to receive the word. On a small scale, you could say that this story is kind of a parable about the kind of people who will understand parables. Jesus, Jesus wasn't playing hide and seek. He wasn't holding out. He wasn't uh, trying to be frustratingly vague, but the message wasn't for the people who came to see the show. No, the message was for those who would receive it by faith. And for them, he wasn't holding out at all. He was giving them the secrets of the kingdom. And so parables then become his code. And, and faith becomes the secret decoder ring. And so beginning in verse 11, he explains, and that leads us to number two, uprooted hearts. Jesus launches right into the meaning. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parables. The seed is the word of God. So, so here it is. This is the core of what he's teaching. This, the seed is God's word, meaning words about or words from God. In context, we know that this word is the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. This is the gospel. How do, how do we know that? Because verse 12 tells us that those who receive this word may believe and be saved. So God, the sower, sows his seed, his word, And he sows this gospel seed anytime the word goes out. Jesus himself is proclaiming throughout his life and ministry the good news. Even now, the gospel continues to go out through the scriptures, through preachers, through missionaries, evangelists, through friendships, through books, through tracts, through you. The gospel is going out. And then Jesus lays out four types of soil on which this seed will fall. These are four kinds of hearts. So how, how do you receive the gospel? He's going to give us three types of negative soil, likely unbelieving hearts, and one positive. And before we get into each of the hearts, I, I want us just to see, I think there's a twofold purpose here, a twofold message that Jesus has. And it's, first it's this, is this is a warning to his followers. Be careful. Be careful how you hear, how you listen. Look, look inward to see how you're receiving the word. But second, he's also helping them see, this is what you're already seeing. This is what you're seeing in my ministry. There's people hearing the gospel and some of them refusing to believe. Even the last few weeks in the book of Luke, we've, we've seen religious people refusing to believe the truth of Jesus, even as they watch him heal and they watch him forgive. Why? Because their hearts are hard. Darkness doesn't comprehend the light. This is seed sown upon the path. 
upon the rocky soil, unable to receive the gospel. But they had also seen good soil, hadn't they? A, a Gentile centurion believing, a tax collector selling everything to follow Jesus, sinners responding with worship because of their new life that had been given to them by Jesus. So today, let's allow the message to do the same thing for us. First, as a warning to our hearts that we would have ears and hearts that would receive the gospel. But second, let's let it comfort us. They would comfort us as, as we encounter many who, who fail to believe in Jesus, many who hear but don't follow. Okay, so heart number one, the seed along the path. Verse 12, the seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So this is someone who, uh, who hears the truth of Jesus, but before the, the truth is received into the heart, it's gone. Uh, the worn footpath that a, that a farmer would have walked on through his fields, it was a path for walking, not planting. The path had become packed down, hard. No, nothing was getting in. This was the hard heart. So, so what does this look like? This is, this is hardness to the gospel. The truth is spoken, but the ground isn't ready to receive. The listener isn't ready. And Jesus said, this is the strategy of the enemy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you ever been talking with someone about Jesus? And they're just, they're just immediately closed off. They quickly oppose, they quickly change the subject. Their hearts are hard. They, they don't want to hear that any of us ever heard the gospel it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a work of God softening our heart that we would receive it. Even now, think about now. Why is it so hard that when, when we open up our scriptures at home, at home alone to, to read God's word, or, or when we sit down to hear a sermon, why is it that we get a thousand text messages, a hundred distractions? Our mind is drawn away. The grocery list just starts rotating through. Why? The enemy wants to prevent us from hearing the word. Heart number two, the seed on the rock. Verse 13, and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root. These believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. So, so this region, this Palestinian region was, was very rocky. Uh, fields would appear farmable, but underneath the surface was nothing but rock. And this is no home for a seed. Once the roots hit rock, it's over. So along that top layer of soil, a, plant, a small plant might pop up. But just as Jesus said, some will hear and receive the word with joy. There's great initial excitement, but it's fool's gold. There's no root at all. Have you ever seen that? Someone who makes a profession. There's excitement, maybe even tears. But whether the next day or the next month, when hardship comes, when trials come, unbelief sets in. And like a hard rain, the seed, the seed of faith is just washed out, washed off of the rock. Commentator Dale Bruner says, this is the heart easily discouraged by persecution. But the truly changed heart, the Christian heart, has deep roots 
has something more stabilizing than just how you feel. If, if happiness is all that unites you to Jesus, then sorrow will soon lead you from him. Heart number three, the seed among thorns. This is almost the opposite. Verse 14, as for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. This heart, here's the good news, but then what does Jesus say? They go on their way. Yes, take the seed, got it. They set out to follow Jesus, but they also just keep on with life. No real change, no reorientation of priority, this is Jesus as the add-on. It's my life. Oh, and now I'll, I'll throw some Jesus onto that too. Notice, notice he doesn't say, suddenly the weeds popped up. No, the thorny weeds were there all along. Worries, riches, pleasures. Nothing was done to prepare the soil of the heart. Nothing done to push out the weeds. And these weeds, they vie for attention, don't they? Money, career, family, sports, technology, food, hobbies, politics. Soon there's just simply not enough capacity, not enough desire, not enough nutrient left in the ground to support it all. Bruner says, if the seed on the rock is washed out by hardship, the seed among thorns is choked out by prosperity. In John Bunyan's classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, Christian, is journeying through his life of faith, knowing that Jesus alone can relieve his heavy burden. But as he travels, he, he comes across a lot of different characters, but he meets a man named Demas. And Demas invites him to come and to dig for treasure. And his traveling companion named Hope says, look at the riches. Look what he's offering. Maybe we should just turn in. Maybe we should stop and partake in the treasure. But Christian is unwavering. He recognizes the temptation for what it is. Of course, soon after, as they head down the road, they find out that all who had stopped for the treasure, they die there. Many will hear the truth of Jesus. And then a different treasure, something posing as good news, will catch their attention. This is what the world is preaching. The world preaches many counterfeit gospels that will choke out the good news in you. So are, are you tempted to listen? Is, is eternal hope a longing for the new heaven and the new earth? Is that being choked out by the gospel of politics? Is enjoying Jesus today is it being choked out by endless entertainment options? Is, is contentment in Christ, is it being choked out by the outrage machine that is social media? Unless we turn from the counterfeits, unless the good news of Jesus completely reorients us, it will be crowded out. The gospel will be eventually choked out among such thorny weeds. Which leads us to the heart that we need. This is number three, the heart prepared by grace. This is our one positive soil. So point number three, but heart number four, the good soil. 
starting in verse 15. But the seed and the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce, good, produce fruit. Good soil is the heart that receives the good news of Jesus with an honest and good heart, Jesus says. The only heart that hears and receives the gospel is a prepared heart. Soil that is plowed and cultivated. But, but what brings this sort of preparation about? This is the miracle of his grace, isn't it? Paul said in Romans chapter six, there's no one good, no one righteous, none who seek after God. So Christian, how, how did you first hear and believe God's word? Did you get your affairs in order first? Did you plow the field and make your heart a ready home for the gospel? No, you loved him. Why? Because he first loved you. This good soil isn't good because it goes and gets. No, the soil receives. The seed of the gospel came to you. And by grace, through faith, he brought you low. By his kindness, he led you to repentance. And slowly he began helping you, removing the rocks, uprooting the thorns. This was his act of grace. If you see the goodness of Jesus, then he has prepared you. He has drawn you by his grace. So then what is the response of a heart that receives such a gift of grace? Once it receives the gospel, it holds on. That's what Jesus said. The one who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it. The believing heart holds on. This is utter faith, complete trust. Think, think to the first time you ever held a baby. What did you do with everything in your hands? Did you just swing your backpack or your purse over to the other shoulder? Did you balance all of your books or your groceries in one arm so that you would have one good free arm to hold the baby? No. You left everything in your arms, on your shoulders, and a pile on the floor. Why? Because this baby was most precious. The good soil, when it recognizes what it is receiving, it holds on with both hands. This phrase, hold on, in the Greek is the word katakeo, which is, which is where we get our word catechism. This is holding on with both hands, not letting go. That's, that's, that's what happens in a catechism. We're, we're, we're holding on to something, holding on to truth, reciting the good news over and again, memorizing and holding fast to God's word, rehearsing those truths as they sink deeply into our hearts. Song of Solomon in, in chapter three, verse four, he, the, the, the book says this, when I found him who my soul loves, I held him and would not let him go. This is Faith. This kind of holding on to, to Christ requires letting go of other things. The third seed, he couldn't shake the many gospels of this age. So he held on to them, which left him with only one hand to try and receive the gospel. This is what Paul describes in 1 Timothy 6. 
He says in verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. Instruct them to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of that, of what is truly life. To take hold of true life. To do that, other hopes have to be released. This is the Christian heart. That when Jesus is yours, you hold fast with all that you are. What is our only hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. We hold tight to him. And the heart that holds fast to Jesus alone will endure. And there will be growth. There will be fruit. Why? Not because the soil is strong. No. A plant doesn't come from soil. A plant comes from seed. The seed is strong. The sturdy roots of the gospel of Jesus bring endurance. Jesus brings the growth. And this is not a life, the Christian life is not one free of distraction, free of anxiety, free of cares, or even free of sin. There are thorns all around. But the one who began the work in you, he will help you. He'll bring it to completion. He will help you cultivate the soil. As you submit to Jesus, he's gonna help you till the ground. He'll take your cares. He'll help you put to death those thorny roots of sin. And what will come into the life of the seed that endures? A plant, a tree with fruit. This is the miracle of the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom that Jesus is teaching. The crowds, what did they want? They wanted a kingdom via military conquest, right? They wanted to take over and overthrow Rome. So they didn't have ears to hear of a kingdom that was gonna come through farming. We, we kind of scoff at, at what they expected, right? We, we look at, oh, they were just expecting a, a military leader, a military messiah, someone who would overthrow Herod, who would establish the Davidic king, the, the, the Davidic throne. But aren't our hearts seduced by the same sort of stuff? We want things fixed now. We want conquest. We want military victories. We want the kingdom of God to come like an election night victory speech. We want to be mature yesterday. And ultimately, yes, the kingdom is coming. The king is coming. But listen, the kingdom is, is advancing even now. His kingdom advances every time the gospel is believed. He saves us. He grows us with his slow and steady grace. The spread of the kingdom of God is in the hearts of his people. And it comes, it comes in about as unspectacularly un as a seed growing out of dirt. Look how, look how he wraps it up in uh, verse 16. Number four, the heart that endures. Verse 16, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. So here we have Jesus switching metaphors again. Now, I know I'm, like, I'm not gonna tell Jesus how to write and tell stories, so you can do that if you want. Um, but, so I'm gonna assume this is the right way to do it. Uh, so he's changing metaphors on us, but I, I, I think he's telling us the same thing. He's saying this, it's okay. 
Set your light out. Put the word of God out there for all to see. Show what he's done for you. You don't have to worry that no one's gonna respond to Jesus in faith. You, can't, you don't have to lose heart. It's slow, steady work as we share the gospel with our neighbors, as we reiterate the gospel night after night, planting God's word in the hearts of our children. It's slow work, but you're sowing the gospel. You're working with the sower to sow the seed of the gospel. So don't lose heart. Christianity is not jiffy pop. It's farming. It's planting. It's cultivating. It's waiting. It's praying. So take the gospel public. You don't have to be afraid. Set it out for all to see. Plant seeds everywhere. Stay at, stay at it. Because look what's coming in verse 17. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. You may never see it, but if the gospel takes root in a person, you can, you can know this, growth is coming. It may feel like it's taking forever, but if you abide in him, he will abide in you and he will bring fruit. He will bring growth that will last in you. The seeds you're planting right now in your children, keep planting, keep praying. Some of those seeds will one day be mighty oaks. They will be trophies of the green-thumbed grace of God. But, but not every seed. Many will not hear. And even those of us who do, are we not all a combination of all of these different kinds of soils anyway? At times we are going to need the Lord to soften our hearts when they become hard. We're gonna need him to, to till out the rocks of unbelief, to pull up the weeds of worldliness. But if you hold fast to Jesus by faith, he will provide the sun. He will provide the rain. He will bring the growth. Sometimes exponentially, a hundredfold, he says. And then verse 18. Therefore, take care how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. And so he ends with a warning which is, could be a downer. But, here, but here's what I think he is telling us. For those who trust in Jesus, more growth is coming. But if you refuse, if you don't hold on to Jesus, if you have no desire for him, be careful that you aren't living off the emotion of some moment that happened way back, off an experience that you thought you had. Maybe you received with joy, but there was never a real root. The seed's been washed out. One day, Jesus says, some are going to think they have it. They're going to think, I'm, I'm good. They're going to look down at the soil of their heart, and they're going to remember an experience or a profession, and they're going to assume that some little sapling of faith must still be there. But if you've only come to the Lord once, 
but you never actually came back to him, never came to him in prayer, never abide in him, then maybe you never came to him at all. If you heard the gospel seed, but never came to Jesus for your faith to be watered and tended, never abided in him. And Jesus is saying, the root of faith you thought was there, maybe that seed never sprouted at all. Jesus says, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Listen, if you belong to Jesus, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will help you persevere to the end. No one can snatch you out of his hand. More will be given to you, he says. Grace upon grace. More growth upon more growth. It's coming. But there are some who think because a seed was planted, that because they now live a pretty good life, maybe because you were born to Christian parents, that that means that there's something alive in the soil. If that's you, none of those things are what gives life. No, Jesus gives life. His word gives life. His gospel, when you believe it, that's what brings the life. So trust him. Ask him today to forgive you. He died and he rose again. And in his new life, through his resurrection, he gives you that new life. He'll give you that new life. But you have to believe in him. You have to come to him. You have to humble yourself and receive the truth of the gospel. Come to the Savior. He will make you new. He will bring growth in you. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us? Oh, Lord, we, we so badly need to hear from you, not just once, but moment by moment, minute by minute. We need to be reminded and hear of the gospel over and over again. What you have done for us is amazing. So Father, would you, would you grow in us the seed of faith? Would you, would you produce in us a plant, growth, fruit that comes from our life? Father, that is, that is your work, but we are asking and praying that you would do that in us and that you would do it in our friends. That you would do it in our friends, our family that don't know you. Father, that you would use us to plant seeds, to, to, to pursue friendships, whereby the grace of God might be made known. God, would you do that in our, in our lives? Would you do that in our families? Would you do it in our friends? We need your help. Would you draw today, even those in this room who, who, who've never believed, who've maybe thought things about the gospel, been around church, but never really received the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died for their sin. Father, would you help them to believe? So would you lead us now as we hear and we respond? We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.